Hello, coming to you from New York City, this is Disaster Politics, the podcast that explores the intersection of policy and legislation with disaster preparedness, response, and recovery. I'm your host, Jeff Slegamelch. Thanks, everyone, for joining today to Disaster Politics Podcast. The recording you're about to hear was recorded on April 10th, 2020. I mentioned the date because, of course, we're talking a lot about COVID-19 and not knowing exactly when this will be heard. I think the time that it is discussed is important to position it in where we are in the trajectory of the pandemic and what we know and what we don't know at this time. But I'm excited to bring this episode to you today because we're talking with uh, partners that we're working with from uh, the center I'm at for my day job, the uh, National Center for Disaster Preparedness at Columbia University's Earth Institute. We've been working with ComEd, a utility in the Midwest, on some crossover expertise on what they're doing for disaster resilience, what we're doing, and to try to create new ideas, new uh, crossover lessons learned to be able to better integrate the work that groups like us are doing with the group, what utilities are doing. Um, And of course, now in COVID-19, these crossover areas couldn't be more important to our everyday life. So joining me is Shaber Amarad, who's the uh, Vice President of Engineering and Smart Grid at ComEd. And we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the broader scope of how utilities play into disasters and how, you know, really collectively are looking at building a grid of the future and more specifically what's going on today and how this ingenuity and the role of utilities as we continue to walk down this path of the COVID-19 pandemic. So with that, we'll get right into it. Thank you all for listening as always, and we'll see you on the other side. All right, so joining us now is Shay Baramarad, who is the Vice President of Engineering and Smart Grid at ComEd. That's Commonwealth Edison, the electric utility serving Northern Illinois, including the city of Chicago. Um, and there, uh, in addition to her uh, role overseeing uh, Smart Grid, she has uh, executive responsibility for ComEd's vision of the grid of the future, as well as communities of the future, systems reliability, engineering, and planning. Uh, Shay, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this, especially with uh, everything else going on. We're grateful for the time. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. So uh, before uh, we get into all of this, you know, I know I read a very brief bio, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what your role is at ComEd in kind of, uh, at least in a day-to-day sense, maybe pre-pandemic, but what are the things that... um, uh, that you're engaged in and that you oversee at ComEd? Sure. Um, I'm the Vice President of Engineering and Smart Grid, uh, as you stated, uh, responsible for all distribution system engineering, Smart Grid area, and our STEM programs. Um, I serve as a technical leader, um, driving efforts to visualize and implement 21st century power grid transformation and new energy economy. Um, my team uh, develops the vision of the grid of the future as well as how we can enable um, communities in in our service territory by um, utilizing different types of uh, emerging technologies and developing investment strategies to improve resiliency, sustainability, and energy equity. My team also designs and executes STEM programs in our service territory. 
Oh, that's right. The, the, uh, the educational programs and sort of working with kind of the next generation of engineers, right? Yeah, well, basically we worked with our, uh, we designed programs and we worked with mainly with high school students from underserved communities to show them, expose them to different opportunities out there and helping them imagining a different future. And that's like one way um, of um, trying to uh, engage more kids and engaging them and, and um, having them think about getting into STEM um, fields in the future or um, the main objective of doing these initiatives is to um, expose the next generation of uh, our citizens to be m more savvy around energy efficiency and climate issues so they make more sustainable decisions as they grow up and they get into workforce. So a lot more than just keeping the lights on. That's, uh, that's great. And I, I think a really uh, incredible uh, scope. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about COVID-19 and, and what the role of utilities and pandemics. But before we kind of dive into that one specifically, um, I wonder if we can talk a little bit more about disaster resiliency and more broadly, kind of before the pandemic and even now, what, what are the general kinds of hazards that, that you're thinking of for the grid of the future from a utility perspective? And uh, what are some of the innovations that, that uh, you guys have been working on as part of mitigating against uh, these kinds of disasters? Yeah, sure. We, um, we've been thinking about how to um, tackle climate crisis and the impact that it's making in our business. We regularly plan for strong thunderstorms a regular uh, winter blizzards and um, extreme temperature throughout the year. Uh, last year, um, well, uh, we experienced negative 50 during the day and positive 50 during the night. So there's 100 degrees temperature difference between um, in, in 24 hours for the system that is 50% of it exposed to weather. So these are the things that on daily basis because of climate issues, we've been facing and experiencing and that's something that we've been thinking uh, how to plan for it and how uh, making proper investments in the system to be responsive to it reliability and flexibility is something that um, all utilities and at comet uh, we have been focusing on um, we do understand that families and businesses across our territory um, experience a record low frequency and duration of outages as part of the reliability improvement efforts in the past um, since 2011. And um, that's been 70% since 2012. And um, I can go on and on about different types of uh, infrastructure improvement that we have made in the past uh, seven, eight years from increasing resiliency and reliability of our overhead feeders and reducing um, material condition issues. Some of these, um, it's our industry, it's an, our, the infrastructure is an aging uh, asset and we've been working on number of sophisticated data-driven analytics to identify risks in the system and addressing them uh, proactively. On the emerging technology side, um, funded by Department of Energy, number of grants that we have to pushing the envelope on um, increasing resiliency and being prepared for catastrophic events. Our microgrid um, project in Brownsville and developing and installing the first cluster microgrid in the nation. That's something that we've been working on uh, in the past year and a half. It's a seven megawatt 
microgrid that connects and clusters with Illinois Institute of Technology uh, microgrid. These two microgrids, we are, we've been developing a microgrid controller that makes all the assets and switches and equipment to talk to each other and the power gets orchestrated between these two microgrids. And it has uh, the solar, um, the, the system gets powered by solar and uh, battery as well as dispatchable generation. So there's a lot happening uh, at Comet and I'd be happy to share with you in more details that that's great that's i think really really interesting both from kind of the grand scale of of physical innovation and and infrastructure and and rebuilding the these grids that are uh in in many ways um uh, uh, quite old um, until we get in there and, and replacing them to smarter, as I understand it, smarter routing around trouble spots and things like that down to the to the microgrids, kind of these islands of uh, um, uh, examples of how, um, you know, the, even if the rest of the grid goes down, they're able to still generate and redistribute power around them. Um, so all, all ways that it seems to have a, a lot of implications, both for disasters and even high stress situations on the grid. Yeah, if you think about it, our industry has been built based on economy of scale, a large generation transmission system and all the way to end users. And what we are doing is adding a, another layer of control in, into our um, central um, operation of the grid. So developing these distributed control and orchestrating the, uh, bringing the generation close to uh, end user and, and having a hybrid model, um, adding more certainty for the time that um, there there is something happening to the uh, bigger grid during any catastrophic event. You know, that's an interesting way of putting it. And I know as, as we've had other conversations, right, on how the, the grid was originally built to get these huge economies of scale, central production, and push it out across wide areas and how to optimize that. And here we are uh, now sort of creating hybrids where you still have that large grid. But as you're saying, with the microgrids also kind of having both at the same time, these highly localized, these hyper-local um, assets as well, too, that can um, are, are less dependent on on... Uh, or more resilient, I guess, in the face of, uh, of external hazards. So it's, it's interesting to sort of see these, how these dynamics are changing with the technology and with the hazards that we face. Yeah, we are trying to be flexible to a lot of challenges that we are facing from cybersecurity to a climate crisis and, and trying to be adaptable and from a technological standpoint, as well as on the workforce mobilization and trying to tackle all of them as we move forward. Yeah, so so here, I know we're talking more generally about uh, the grid, the grid of the future, the grid of the present and the past, as well as um, kind of generally the kinds of hazards that have been planned for. And now, of course, we find ourselves in the midst of a, of a pandemic, the likes of which have not been seen in um, several generations. Um, and so uh, what kind of challenges does this present? Um, what kind of things are you guys dealing with and, and uh, at ComEd and how, how are you sort of working to manage the kind of challenges that present? What, what's different, what's similar about a pandemic compared to these other, other threats you've been uh, thinking of? You know, it's, uh, if you think about it, um, being ready for a crisis is in the DNA of uh, electric utility sector. And I've talked about being ready for polar vortex and fire in California, tornado in um, in our territory, hurricane on the East Coast. It's something that we plan for as we run drills, we run number of scenarios, we look into 
um, how we um, can um, make a proper investment in the in our infrastructure to be ready for it. And this is an unprecedented time and crisis. But during this time, it's amazing how the entire company comes together and wanting plans and stay very close and connected and um, look into how we can move forward and be ready what's ahead of us. It's been this COVID-19, I think it's been a very intense reminder of the significance of the electric grid to the society. Um, from a lot of testimonies from our uh, first responders and government officials in the state of Illinois, it's, it's just a testimony of um, how important it is to keep the lights on. We are prioritizing in-person work based on needs we, to try to keep our communities and our employees safe, safe and paying close attention to uh, emerging science. We have implemented stay-at-home order for um, some of our employees one week prior to Governor Pritzker's um, implementation of um, stay-at-home order in Illinois. But much of our workforce is done in the field and our control centers are critical part of, our, of keeping this um, huge system up and running. We are providing PPEs, including masks for our employees in the field and implementing significant societal distance, distancing measures. We continue to closely review every job and task step, steps to to, to use uh, available protective equipment so that all the work can be performed safely. The, the work that we do at ComEd is essential as, or any utility is essential, and it's been recognized by um, many different states and city um, emergency declaration orders. Our distribution and transmission control room personnel who are critical um, to our uh, operation are now working uh, from both primary and backup control systems. We've been thinking about uh, sequestering strategies, but we are not there yet. That's something that we've been actively thinking about it and benchmarking with others um, that they've been ahead of us to, during this journey uh, for a couple of weeks uh, in Europe and other places and uh, staying close to lessons learned um, as uh, we move forward. Yeah, that's a good point too. I appreciate you bringing up on how uh, you know the the community of uh, of utilities is is really global, and unfortunately, some lessons overseas that that could help frame uh, the response here. Um, so, so you mentioned a bit about uh, some of the, um, you know, recognizing the importance of electricity in terms of facilitating people's ability to work from home and, and adhere to social distancing and, and the various things to ensure that, that both the workforce providing that and overseeing that is kept safe and, and things like that. Um, I'm curious um, uh, if you're able to talk about uh, the uh, differences in uh, consumption of electricity. Are, are you seeing different patterns, different vulnerabilities or different or, or just some, some changes in usage that, that either provide more stress, less stress? Uh, curious if there are any insights there from a pandemic social distancing posture where we find ourselves today. Yeah, we, um... We've been, we, we have seen about 6% decline overall, uh, but um, we've been looking at the macro level, uh, how it looks like at the same time on the engineering side, the pattern of the consumption has shifted from industrial load to residential load. And uh, we've been running number of power flows and scenarios to make sure that the 
the capacity of the distribution feeders that we have is proper enough uh, for the pattern change as well as the consumption difference um, if any um, emergency work is needed during this time. So that's something that engineering team has been uh, working on it and we look very, we, we, close, um, we keep a close eye on it um, on a daily basis. That's interesting as well. So the so the overall volume of, of usage is down, but the pattern you you have areas that don't normally use as much using a lot more, um, and just making sure the uh, uh, various systems and mechanisms for for managing that can 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 handle that. That's um, uh, it'll be interesting, you know, to see some of the studies and reports after the fact as well too to really sort of look at nighttime versus daytime usage and things like that and how that's changed these days, obviously a lot has changed across every sector. So, um, you know, I think we talked a, a little bit about this, but the, um, you know, in terms of the, the consequences of an outage, you know, has different impacts under different scenarios. Some people are more dependent than others, but particularly now with social distancing, electricity and the things that plug into the wall, enabling remote work or uh, remote podcast recording, <laughs> things like that. Um, so I, I'm curious your thoughts on that too, just in terms of consequences that kind of cascade across and also um, what this means in terms of the relationships with the communities themselves, uh, what kinds of conversations or considerations or things um, you've had in terms of your outreach with uh, communities as well. Yeah, it's a, the, the, the role uh, in the effort to ensure that other frontline fighters like hospitals, trauma centers, test centers, government offices, uh, first responder sites do not face an avoidable disruption in their, uh, in, in, during this time is extremely important. And we've been proactively working with a um, number of uh, regulatory and uh, cities and municipalities and government officials to understand if there are any sites being open. And we've been proactively inspecting circuits and equipment at critical care facilities like hospitals, permanent or um, and makeshifts and, and testing facilities and critical medical uh, manufacturing sites, making sure that uh, it's, it's, it's a very focused initiative. And we have established a multi-department COVID-19 response inspecting inspection working groups and continuously engaging with uh, local chamber of commerce, non-for-profit agencies, faith-based organizations and commercial and industrial customers to proactively identify any locations that are involved in COVID-19 response and ensure that they have the level of service uh, required. We, this working group that I mentioned meets on a daily basis and evaluates new and existing COVID-19 responses and uh, other critical infrastructure sites. For all the sites, the engineering teams uh, analyze and create a second and equipment inspection plan, which gets executed on a daily basis and results in a prioritized list of corrective maintenance uh, actions. We are um, implementing those actions some as early as within few hours of uh, reporting. And additionally, as many residents in our service territory have been transformed into um, everything from daycare centers and schools to places of businesses, 
it's even more uh, crucial that they maintain reliable power. I talked about the um, 70% improvement in, in um, reliability in in the past couple of year, years, and but we we want to make sure that we are working very hard to reduce any kind of stress or anxiety during this time of uh, crisis. Yeah, no, and I I, I think uh, sort of leading into my next question here is as part of this, right? These investments over the years into enhanced liability sort of creates more to work with in these situations, I would assume. Um, and so, uh, and along those lines, so what kinds of innovations um, that you may have been working on over the last few years or maybe implementing now, are you finding uh, the most helpful? I should mention too, so we're having this conversation on April 10th. So uh, depending on when in the pandemic cycle you're listening to this, obviously things could change, but um, sort of at this relatively early stage um, or a couple of weeks into social distancing, um, you know, what are, what are some of the either past investments or current innovations that, that you're seeing are, are particularly useful in this uh, pandemic scenario? You know, I, I should tell you that it's, I am proud how uh, decisive and um, quick comment leadership has been in, in order to take actions and keep our employees and communities safe from spreading COVID-19. We are implementing, as I mentioned, a bit earlier, health and safety guidelines, both personal and company preparedness measures, new policies for customer interactions, and our instituting um, work from home measures and making all the IT systems work from like remotely, things that we, I never thought it's easy to implement that. And it would take months and months to look into how we can make it happen, what's the implication of it. But in 48 hours, we did make it happen. We have also on the um, technology and analytics side, we have established a pandemic analytics team that has been focused on evaluating COVID-19 impacts on our service area and workforce to ensure that we are using the most up-to-date information to shape our um, response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Those models, as you can imagine, and you're in the middle of it, Jeff, they are very volatile. Models are not stable because the data is not there to develop the, um, to do proper analytics and uh, develop um, models. And it's basically one-third of decision-making and two-thirds of it comes from intuition and expertise. But that's something that the team uh, has been working on and looking into short-term risk mitigation and protection of our workforce, being prepared for the absentees and long-term impact evaluation for strategies for supporting our customers and workforce. We've been thinking about prior uh, pandemic, um, I'm specifically talking about flu, it's Spanish flu, it, it, it came in a wave base. Mm -hmm. And if that's really the case, how it looks like from our perspective and how can we readier um, in, 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 in the future. Yeah, that's a good point that pandemics, particularly influenza pandemics, tend to present in waves. Um, and although the behavior of, of COVID-19 isn't as you mentioned, is fraught with assumptions and uncertainty, um, trying to project that, trying to at least create some boundaries of the uncertainty to plan within. Um, I also appreciate too, I, I uh, was, uh, you know, expecting to hear some technological approach or something. And I, I'm, uh, um, 
appreciate hearing about you know putting the the people first and coming from an academic institution myself too there's a lot of talk about how we can help and how we can find research and knowing that the how valuable the outputs are um and, and similarly you know to 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 know and understand that that is only possible if the people are there um and the people are safe and the people and their families are safe and so i i uh i'm, I'm glad that you brought that up and that we're talking about that as well too because all of these innovations and all this technology is really just an extension of the people um not a replacement um yeah you know on the infrastructure side the importance of having a very solid communication infrastructure and resiliency resilience planning to be prepared for fast restoration there's there are two aspects into it one is to avoid outages the second thing is to plan for fast recovery the communication infrastructure that provides situational awareness so they can uh, more accurately we can send crews for restoration this is something that we've been looking into as and um, utilizing um, communication infrastructure like fiber uh, or um, different types of sensors and doing analytics and having real-time data to help to help us to make better decisions these are the things that from a technological standpoint we've been working on it for a while but now going through this process it's been a reminder that we've been going through the right path mm -hmm. and uh, to some extent thinking about what we, we are going through right now as well as the climate crisis we have to get faster in this process and um, moving forward by by these resilience planning yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, you mentioned, I know we've both been kind of alluding to some of the work we've been doing together in full disclosure, but also a chance to talk about. Um, so recently, ComEd partnered with uh, the center that I work at, the National Center for Disaster Preparedness at Columbia University's Earth Institute on a few projects. I'm, uh, full disclosure, the, the principal investigator on Columbia's side for these projects. So of course, we, we know each other uh, at this point for this, but I wonder if you want to talk just a little bit about, uh, about that, about why that partnership exists and came together. And um, um, you know, I, I know we're certainly happy to be, to be working with you. I appreciate the partnership. I should say that it's a it's been an amazing partnership. And um, as practitioners, us as practitioners of emergency and disaster preparedness, we have to work together across academia and industries to keep evolving our approaches as new emergencies emerge. Especially, I I, I slightly talked about in the period of climate crisis, our Collaborations um, like what we have created with um, Disaster Preparedness, National Center for Disaster Preparedness at Columbia and uh, Earth Institute, and, and yourself and your team, it's something that can help us to think out, outside of the box and mainly understand the implication of how it looks like. And now, um, with going through, particularly um, going through this. Um, COVID-19 pandemic impact uh, to our workforce, we are quite excited having been able to add um, your, uh, your team and yourself uh, perspective in our efforts and looking forward to a, a great collaboration.
I, and we appreciate as well too, you know, on the disaster research side and on the implementation side, you know, it's uh, a lot of uh, uh, prior to this, my exposure to the utilities is maybe being in an emergency operations center and there's being that one representative there saying, yeah, we're on it. Yeah, we're sending a team, you know, um, and, you know, kind of um, being that point person. Um, but not fully understanding everything behind the scenes and how vital this is and, and so much, as you mentioned, um, you know, being able to, to take the expertise across different disciplines towards really a truly whole community approach. And of course, these days, uh, you know, electricity and reliable access to electricity is, is just getting plugged in more, no pun intended, to uh, more and more aspects of our lives and in some cases health, in some cases safety, in some cases economic. And so it's... Uh, um, uh, unfortunate that uh, we're having to put so much to the test here with COVID-19, but also um, I think uh, certainly on our end as too, we're very grateful to be able to be a positive force towards a broader impact of, of this knowledge in the field. You um, know, coming from an academic world and research, I've often said that innovation doesn't happen in a vacuum. And it's through partnership like these that we learn to identify best practices and accelerate research and ultimately make a world better place. So we are grateful for this partnership. Thank you, yeah. So um, so folks who are interested in learning more about the work that you're doing at ComEd um, or uh, uh, even just kind of follow your work uh, specifically, where, where can folks find out more information about the grid of the future, about microgrids, about where, uh, about all of these uh, innovations your team's working on? Comment.com is a great place to start, and we're very active on social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and, and such. There are a number of industry press uh, that uh, have covered some of the work that my team has been involved in, and we um, constantly publish in, in very technical transactions, such as IEEE, um, um, on, the, on the transaction and technical work, uh, we constantly present our work at uh, different uh, conferences to share what we've learned uh, through this process for microgrid, for, for uh, going through the resilience planning, and as well as participating in many Department of Energy benchmark and lesson learned workshops. So there is a long list of uh, on the technical side and even on the non-technical side that the work that my team has been involved in, been getting shared through industry. That, that's great. And we'll link to some of these uh, in the podcast description. I'll also point to, uh, we had uh, uh, one of the first outputs of the collaboration, an article in uh, the Research Counts publication through the Natural Hazard Center at the University of Colorado Boulder. I'll link to that as well, too, for folks interested in, in the collaboration. I know there's more to come from that as well, too, helping to take this really forward-thinking technical work and the disaster work and then bringing it together for, you know, something uh, um, really great with the crossover of, of uh, both worlds. Um, so, well, once again, Shay, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. I can't imagine how incredibly busy you must be, um, but really grateful to kind of get some insights into this and to, uh, the role of utilities in this and a little more understanding of behind the scenes, the kind of work that's being done and that, that uh, can be done as part of uh, both the grid of the future and uh, making the grid of today as, as reliable as possible in these uncertain times. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, please stay well and healthy and um, looking forward to seeing you anytime soon after this crisis is over. Absolutely. I need some uh, deep dish pizza and that emerald relish on a, on a, on a <laughs> hot dog. So.
All right, thanks again to Shay for sharing her expertise and sharing some of these lessons learned and how a major utility is looking at this and how uh, other utilities are, are looking at both COVID-19 as well as disaster resilience more generally. Really appreciate the insights. If you like what we're doing here, tell a friend. Uh, let them know what's going on here. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you download this podcast. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can find us on Twitter. We're at DisasterPolitik. If you want to be a guest on the show, have some thoughts, have some ideas, want to take the conversation slightly less online, email us. We're at DisasterPoliticsPodcast at gmail.com. With that, I hope everyone is, is distancing appropriately, keeping safe, and that you and your loved ones are safe in these uncertain times. Whatever you're doing, thanks for listening, and stay safe out there.